The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation like the intro says. So, check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Today, I was really, really fortunate to be joined by RK of Beyond the RK. You can find him on Twitter at Beyond the RK. Orlando Magic expert, NBA uh, roster construction extraordinaire, all-around great guy, and I was privileged to have him on the show to talk all things Orlando Magic. We discussed um, the top three picks and how they would fit alongside the Magic heading into the draft. We also looked at who they ended up selecting, Paulo Bancaro, and did an in-depth, deep dive into his game. And then we looked at the rest of the roster, you know, evaluated the guards, looking at the big men, the front office, the coaching staff, all of that. And then, you know, we took a step out and decided to check out um, what we liked and what we didn't like as a whole from the NBA draft. So, all in all, a really fun conversation with a really great guy. Again, check him out on Twitter at Beyond the RK. Also, make sure to check out his Substack and his YouTube. Great content. He's pretty much everywhere. So, definitely make sure to look into that. All right, y'all, as you can see, we've slowed down just a little bit here on Round Ball Ramble because we're in the offseason now, you know? Summer League's right around the corner. I will be there for all two weeks or a week and a half, whatever the case may be. So, you know, not a whole lot to go, but we're still going to have uh, free agency, you know, we're still going to have some content going into off season, just not every day because, you know, it's nothing happening every day. Um, but thank y'all for rocking with me as always do appreciate y'all and the listening that y'all give me. It, it, it helps any feedback. It also helps y'all and my friends. And I, and I, I really do not take that lightly. So definitely make sure again, check me out on Twitter at Corbin NBA. And you know what? For myself, I'm frosty. Y'all stay frosty and enjoy this great conversation I had with RK. From beyond the arcade. All right, y'all. All right, y'all. I am pleased to have on a very, very special guest, uh, Orlando Magic expert, uh, great guy in terms of content you should follow if you're looking for team building, scouting, team construction, which is kind of my jam. Um, we have RK on from Beyond the RK. You can follow him on Twitter at Beyond the RK. Uh, bro, how you doing, man? Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you uh, spending the time here. Hey, thanks for having me, Corbin. Big fan of your work. Big Phoenix Mercury Suns fan over there, you know, making making it happen. But thanks for having me. I just love the, the draft and talking about the magic, where we're heading as a team. It's it's all fun stuff, looking up. Definitely, definitely. I'm excited to have you on, especially someone who writes about the magic. I know you did an article just recently uh, about, well, who just joined the magic. Uh, number one overall pick, Paulo Bancaro. I love the, the kind of uh, meme on Twitter with the, basically Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I, I like that. I think it's you know, pretty it, accurate. Yeah, <laughs> we got. I mean, the Magic Mount Rushmore. It's it's pretty much at least the player wise. Anyway, you got Shaq, Dwight, Penny, T Mac. I mean, the big four. I mean, no one's exactly. no one's coming close to the moment. But that's a little bit of hope for Magic fans. Is this number one pick next in the line of some great number one picks before great great draft history in this franchise? So there's already you know lofty expectations of hey, we had Shaq and Dwight roll in the door last time we had a number one pick can you be anything like that so i mean hard to live up to that but yeah. you know some players exceed expectations so we can't wait oh absolutely i call that that group the nba jam collection because you bring those out depending on what year you play uh between penny and, and Shaq and them man you got you Ooh. got yourself a core yeah <laughs> but yeah man, i'm really excited to, to talk about orlando i know that I've only been following like more recently the last two years, more, I want to say, in-depth, only because I've been excited to follow a team that is just starting to rebuild the process. Orlando, we knew, you know, trade deadline 2019 really went into that, um, you know, offloading Aaron Gordon, you know, trading um, Nikola Vucevic, you know, bringing back some younger pieces and and really trying to start with that. Um, drafting, of course, Jalen Suggs, um, and then, of course, um, also Franz Wagner, um, with the fifth and seventh pick, and I was excited. I really thought that um, I, my ideal draft, like thought at the time, was Jalen Suggs and Moses Moody. 
I thought that the scoring upside was better there. But Franz Wagner went and blew all my expectations out mm-hmm. out the water with one of the best rookie seasons in a minute. Not just in Orlando, but one of the best. I mean, we had a, a strong rookie class last year, and Wagner was right up there with the great. So I guess I want to start with your thoughts on – well, let's kind of even walk it back a little bit. I kind of want to start with your history, kind of being an Orlando Magic fan, being kind of um, like the con- content creator space that you, that you kind of have now um, – in the NBA community with the Magic, with this team building. And then we'll kind of look toward the beginning of this Magic rebuild and your initial thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sum up kind of my background, I'm just a lifelong Magic fan, a huge fan of Shaq right out of the gates. He was, <laughs> I was born in 92, and the Magic okay. drafted him. That was the same draft as Shaq, so it was just, you know, <laughs> Match made in heaven, yeah. <laughs> right, right when I'm born, you know, Magic for, for life. And then T-Mac really – Sold me just on the love for the game, going to Magic games with my dad and brother, season tickets during those times. It was It's the reason I love basketball and just got into it there. And I've just been a, a diehard NBA fan ever, ever since, sitting and you know, watching. I love Dwayne Wade and, and Carmelo back then in the 09 era of just growing up, watching these guys play. And that 03 draft class kind of grew up with that class, it feels like. And, you know, then, of course, we got the Dwight Howard teams, and that, and that was a, a, a real blessing to get to watch, like, a full offense, full team-first type of a contender really make a run for it. So I got into – I love basketball for all those reasons and just would love to keep pursuing uh, all of it from just talking about team building, scouting, like you talked about, and basketball strategy. So that's kind of what led me to this and not seeing – a. A ton of great coverage, especially from the national perspective, kind of uh, made me want to go into a little more um, talking about the magic more, more clearly and thoroughly than maybe I saw others do it. So that's really, really all there was to it. And I'm just a really big fan of just the basketball at large and everything that goes into it. So I love talking about it, breaking it down as a fan. And then, of course, professionally, I, I would love to pursue that type of work as well in, in terms of scouting and, and all that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I'm, I will say this at the end as well, but please uh, make sure to check out the Beyond the RK Substack, not just the stuff that he's done recently, but it's really good deep dive. Like you said, team construction philosophy kind of conversation that you see bits and pieces and pockets there, but not as much as there could and should be, and especially not as much on a team like the Magic. But I think it's a perfect case study, you know, right now for a team undergoing a rebuild and trying to like see that process unfold in real time. And I guess that's what makes me know my second question here. I jumped the gun totally off the jump here, but looking mm-hmm. at the way that the Magic started, you know, their rebuild, um, in terms of letting off some of the old guard, you know, they had a couple first round appearances uh, under Steve Clifford, who just got rehired again by the Hornets, is hilarious. But, you know, between <laughs> Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, of course, and the big one, Nikola Vucevic, the all-star there, um, in letting those players go with the pieces they got back, which, you know, go from Wendell Carter Jr., you know, to R.J. Hampton, just in terms of the types of players. Uh, kind of how have you felt with this initial um, start? I mean, even before we get to this recent draft. Right. I, th- I think this front office has shown that they have a process and that they really wanted at first to feel out what they had in the roster when they arrived. Um, to quickly summarize, when Hennigan left, the timetable was the other front office actually traded Terrence Ross and a first to Orlando for Serge Ibaka, and that, and that was Jeff Weltman in Toronto's front office making that deal. And that was pretty much the last deal um, Rob Hennigan made in Orlando. And then that summer, they hired Weltman and Hammond to run the front office, and they drafted Jonathan Isaac with the sixth pick. And that really started the, the next rebuild stage from there. Except, like we said, they kind of didn't go straight to the bottom. They, they decided to say, figure out who was valuable on the roster. Were, were there good basketball players there? And there were. Like you mentioned with Clifford, they were able to mold a playoff team around Vucevic's offense and the defensive just athleticism and versatility of Aaron Gordon and Isaac next to him really took that to a next step. But... I, I know I was a Magic fan who was kind of tired of running on the treadmill of mediocrity, if, if that's the phrase, mm. where you didn't really see the ceiling with that team, where that seem, team, uh, seemed to be capped out to a certain degree of, you know, v- Vucevic can't have any more usage. We are using every bit of Vucevic's offensive skill to create a half-court offense. That was He was our most reliable half-court creator in that sense, so 
that's we made the best of the situation. But to me, they made the right move, even if it was a little later than I would have liked. But it makes sense because they are seeing what they have. So they have to give them a chance. And that's longer than fans would like. So they decided all at once about two and a half years in. They made two playoffs in a row. But then some injuries hit. The All-Stars weren't quite as good. The shooting wasn't there. And suddenly we were just awful. We didn't have a choice to tank or not. Like the Magic were just bad after the Fultz and Isaac injury. They just weren't good enough to even contend for a playing game so that was the year I, I believe it was their third year here where they decided to hit the reset button the big red button and send all the the veterans around the country which happened to be all to pretty good teams the celtics the nuggets the bulls they they pretty much set up their veterans for good situations which i have to imagine is is only positive for the relationships with the players and agents and all that but it, it was nice to finally see them make that move and i've really been on board with just about every move they've made since then. Uh, I mean, they're, they're trying to find, establish a team around two-way, team-first versatility where players can play with any type of a guy and have success, and they want a full roster of that. I have a quote here about that, actually, from Jeff Weltman on the Russillo podcast just a few days ago. He talked to him the day after making the pick, and talking about Paolo specifically as well, the positional versatility at both ends of the floor, the IQ, the size, that's the way we see our team growing. That's why we think Paolo is one of those guys that can fit in anywhere with anyone. And we want a bunch of those guys. And I think we're developing that profile. And that's just one more example of Paolo fitting the profile with his versatility on both ends. And and he could end up, I'm going to try not to overuse the word versatility because it it is a key theme of today's podcast, but (laughs) he he could be as versatile as anyone on either end, especially if he fine tunes that defense and um, talking about the defense, some people have concerns over his shooting and and defense, but I I think those are a little overblown and we can get into that a little later, but yeah, I think he'll, he'll be capable in just about every role. And the, the big key of versatility is that you don't have, too many holes that other teams can pick on when you're on the floor that they won't take advantage of a, a slow step, slow footed big man on defense or someone that can't shoot on offense. So I really like where they're headed with the roster building and, um, and uh, on board with just about all these picks. I mean, we're talking about 10 guys under 25 years old that they've at, kind of built this roster around who generally speaking, are all long, strong, and skilled for their position. And if if they're not that great defenders, they probably make up for it on the offensive end. So it's it's a nice balance to see so many good basketball players in one place and hopefully just growing into some of the parts that could be even more impressive down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really like the context which you kind of went into the beginning of this, you know, with back with Serge Ibaka, shout out to, shout out to, you know, Rob Hennigan. That's that, how you start that, it. That's a run-on sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's one run-on sentence. Oh, no. Serge Ibaka to Paolo Bancaro. But it's a nice cut. Like, the way that you do it, five minutes, like a sync like, timeline. No, yeah, of course. I blacked like... out. I tried to sum it up for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great because you do see um, not only two different organizational, like, structures and, and goals, one that more or less did seem to kind of tread mediocrity. You know, they were the ones that, the $15 million to Jeff Green that one year. I was like, why? You know, like, like, <laughs> like from that year to, like, now it's okay. You know what? We're fully going to embrace the rebuilding process and, and make moves toward that effect. We can um, react. You know, injuries obviously kind of forced the, the Magic's hand, but it's like, okay, we can adapt with that. We're not just going to go and bring in, you know, make a trade for a guy on an expiring deal, pass his prime, which I could see, you know, another team possibly doing or, or having a situation like that happen. And so now we it brought us up here to Bancaro. And I, before we even really get into Paolo, like you said, the shooting and other things we could talk about, I was, I kind of want to get back to, and I, I know a little bit of this, but your thoughts between, you know, what was, and still is uh, basically been a three-player draft. So you did have, of course, Jabari Smith Jr. from Auburn, um, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, and then, of course, Paolo. And who you wanted to kind of be selected number one? Because I will tell you right now, I was on the Jabari Smith train, tooting the horn, dancing up and down. Like, to have a guy at 6'10 with that shooting ability that he does, I really saw him possibly growing out maybe not getting quite the the handle that, you know, Paolo Bancaro has, but at least right. enough to kind of get into a shot. 
Um, I just was like, wow, he could be a great release valve for your Cole Anthony's, for your Jalen Suggs, your Franz Wagner, someone who can just create space off pick and pop action. Um, I was really big on that. And then after that was probably Ben Carroll. Third for me was Chet, even though I figured Chet would probably be either number one or number two for the Magic front office just because of his you know, his length, and, and, you know, that's the buzzword with the Orlando Magic front office, length, um, you know, John Hammond, Wellman, like, those are the kind of things you throw out there, and him being a, a defensive game changer on that end, um, I could see Magic fans and the front office being enamored with that, so I, I guess I throw it over to you, bef- you know, obviously now we know who is drafted, but what were your thoughts kind of leading up to that? Were you a bigger fan of Jabari? Did you have knocks on him? Were you uh, thinking Holgrim, Holmgren would be the one? Were you always on Ben Carroll's train? Uh, what is your kind of, I guess, thought process leading up to draft night? Yeah, I, I'll try to word it the right way because it's all down to little verbiage, but I do, oh. <laughs> I think, I think the Magic wanted, or my opinion was, I thought the Magic wanted Chet, and I also projected Chet to be the best player or fit for this team on my big on my magic centric team centric big board so i like there's probably you know 50 signs a bunch of them that you mentioned between the length and the skill and really just the the history of the draft that weltman and hammond have made these types of picks and bet on certain attributes before and that led me to think it was chet and to touch on jabari just just as a fan of basketball i i love watching him like he's just exciting he was like as a Magic fan who just wants to watch a fun product, I probably would have loved that pick because he is a, just a wet shooter from deep and the defensive versatility that, you know, if he has any Richard in his game with that with that stroke, everyone yes. likes that. And then, you know, I'm always a fan of, of betting on long defenders, versatility, shot blockers, and three-point shooting. Like, I'm a fan of all those skills. But that all being said, from a, a scout big board draft perspective i did have paolo and chet just a smidge higher on the big board there and it was kind of for the reasons you mentioned for the really the handles and the playmaking were a big differentiator for for paolo where he's he's really it's one of those situations where his his like synergy profile will be like 1.0 on every category where every role he's put in he's an efficient scorer and he might not be the best iso player but he's not the worst. He's probably average or above average. And same for every single role down the line where when you, when you have that all around efficiency, there's definitely a sum of the parts goal there where all those skills come together into one more impactful overall two-way player. And on top of all that, it, it seemed like Paolo had so few holes and a, a bunch of the you know nerdier draft geeks that go even harder on this will we'll tell you that he had the star scoring potential, that he had the shot creator potential to be a star in this draft based on at 6'10", with a 7'1 wingspan, I believe, being able to handle, create his own shot, and have the vision to look for others. It's just a really rare set of skills to just come out of the gates with, where you're able to develop pretty much everything realistically, and you don't necessarily have to come up with a specific goal of he's going to be our three and D wing for 10 years. Like he, he, he could be anything. And especially with him and Franz next to each other, which is probably the most exciting pairing on this roster going forward, where you have arguably the, the two best offensive options on the team, both being six ten forwards who can play both ends and dribble pass and shoot. And that's just a really base package to to build around as a team especially in offense but I would say more than anything that I just like the versatility of the roster where we're able to play anyone with anyone ideally where you can throw Paolo out there with the bench and he might be flanked by more shooting than with the starters where he can really work get into that drive and kick game where the bench has Cole Anthony RJ Hampton Chumo Kiki and Mo Bamba while the starters has a little more of this sturdy rock boulder shoulder defenders with Fultz and Suggs and Wendell and Isaac when he's healthy. And um, it's, it's just a really fun fit going forward. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. I think you brought up a really good point in terms of how he will work with Franz having two guys with that size, the ability to, you know, play make um, in space the the pick and rolls, like you said, are going to be great. And also um, Franz was surprising. I wasn't high. And I think it's going to be a great parallel into, we'll go into this next right now. There was questions for me with Fonz about his shooting and how that would translate at the next level. Like, yeah, he could shoot the three, but it wasn't like, 
a really good part of his game. If anything, when you saw weaknesses on there, shooting consistently would come up there. Um, I think we say the same with Paolo, at least from three. For mid-range, one of the better uh, shooters in college. Obviously, his ability to just work in his bag and get to that spot is great. Uh, it's almost like a video game, you know, kind of seeing how he's <laughs> able to just do it. It's it's really cool. But his three-point shot has been uh, much maligned in terms of consistency um, from the outside and, and some of the issues there or maybe whether those issues are overblown. And that's why I throw over to you. Um, I guess we can start with the shooting and then even go to the defense. But uh, there's been those are the two things that have been talked about against Paolo being the clear-cut number one is, oh, we don't know, you know, the motor on the defensive end and the shooting from outside. Uh, what says you to that? I know that, again, you wrote a pretty detailed article um, on Paolo, but what are your thoughts on those perceived weaknesses and whether they are as big as you think um, or whether you think they're as big as you hear or, hey, we're, we're, we're kind of piling on a little too much? Yeah, I, I do think the weaknesses are a tad overblown, probably because we're in the top three pick discussion, so everyone's nitpicking the differences between the prospects and Chet looks like an elite rim protector, and um, Jabari seems like he'll be a versatile uh, wing front court defender. So the idea that comparing him to those two maybe hurt the perception of his defense, at least in my eyes. And, you know, he can uh, maybe lollygag or, or maybe not, give his full competitive effort in general. But from the defensive perspective, his, his size is one thing already, where it's, it's 6'10", 250 pounds with a, either 7'1 or 7'2 wingspan. I'm, I'm blanking. But just a, a huge yes. guy with length. And he's going to be stuck in between Isaac or Franz and Wendell, two other, three other just strong defenders. So in terms of defense, there is a concern. But part of me thinks between Jamal Mosley's competitive energy that he'll kind of inspire that type of it, it's that more so that the the defensive energy will be contagious on that roster where just he, he won't be able to play without competing and giving his all every possession because there's just a no plays off mentality that's already been built that other coaches will talk about after the game like oh we were up 20 and these guys just wouldn't let off and that's just always what you hear about this team so in terms of the defense, that would, I mean, that probably is the biggest concern, but I wouldn't call it like a real issue where people, I don't expect opposing offenses to be singling him out at the next level, but we'll see. I mean, that is definitely a to be determined and it's harder to project than the other ones, but that, that would, I'd say it's the biggest concern only because relative to the other top three picks, it's not as glaring of a, a big strength as they, for them, but I really think Within our system, he'll be forced to make rotations and try his hardest. And with that size surrounded by other smart elite defenders, that it should work out with the development. And obviously, it takes a buy-in and a work ethic from Paolo's spot that um, we, we kind of take for granted when we talk about this. But that's the defensive side of things. I feel that. And to talk about the jump back on the Franz Moody thing, it, it, mm. it kind of, thinking about it here in lifetime, I, I agreed with you back then, and there might be some similarities here to um, Paolo and Jabari as well, because I wanted Mo Moses Moody at that pick as well mm -hmm. the, for the, for similar reasons. He was a, a long wing defender who can shoot threes and had that mid range off the dribble potential where maybe he's going to be a tough shot maker yeah. right there. And that's when, when I'm thinking about it now that, and they took, they take Franz over that because of all the ancillary skills where, where Franz can play with anyone where he's, He's got the dribble pass shoot combo and the plus defensive length where he can play in any lineup with just about anyone and be a good basketball player. And I think that combination of skills, something um, uh, PD Webb just wrote about as well with the dribble pass shoot wings, where that has become more valuable than the three and D wing as role player ideas in the NBA. And that doesn't mean three and D wings have no value. I think they're very rare to, and, and, very very positive impact for championship teams but the idea that there's a, a three and d wing who can also dribble pass and shoot that's just next level of this guy really can't hurt us as long as he's on the floor and, and moving the ball making team first decisions and competing defensively so that kind of reminds me of the jabari paolo discussion as well where there's a three and d a little bit taller players involved but three and d jabari with that um iso tough shot making potential but they go with the 
better basketball player, at least in the all-around skills perspective of right now, where he, he can do everything and has room to develop realistic in every single path and different roles, different skills. So I, that's kind of where I'm at in terms of their draft process, That where maybe that's the difference between at least my evaluation of who they should take or difference of opinion or, or team building men- mentality. But that seems to at least be where they're at. And then we can talk about uh, his shooting in a minute as well. I, I, I oh, think yeah. he's a little underrated as a, as a shooter. No, I, yeah, we definitely want to get into shooting because there's a few other guys with that same question. I like that you did bring out um, the valuableness of these kind of multifaceted wings that, yeah, maybe the three and B, is, is, it, it's there, but it's so much more in terms of being connecting pieces and, and, and being able to contribute a variety yeah. of ways. That's really, yeah, really good. And, yeah, something that obviously Wagner brings more in spades than Moody. Still early, one year, like, the book's not written on them, of course, but we did see immediately Wagner be able to be someone who could be, take on additional facilitating and allow Cole Anthony to just focus on what Cole Anthony wants to do, which is score the basketball, you know, and kind of bridge the gap uh, before we saw Markel Fultz come in late in the season from that playmaking perspective, especially um, while Jalen Suggs really trying to find his way after, you know, a really rough rookie season overall, but like a really rough first half uh, specifically. But yeah, I, I guess going into the shooting, because I guess that's question marks for, there's been question marks for Vaughn's. I think he's more or less kind of pushed some of that back with the really strong performance this past year, uh, repeatable form, you know, just basically making it look a little overstated or a little, yeah, basically the fears uh, being a little overstated there. Uh, Paolo, I guess, from deep has been a question. And then you look at Jalen Suggs, who had a really rough shooting here, which I was not expecting at all, you know, considering what we saw in college. Um, even to a lesser extent, Markel Fultz, um, who mid-range, that's his game. Hasn't had a three-point shot, you know, since he came to Orlando um, after, you know, the injury in Philadelphia. And then even to a much lesser extent, because the future is so hazy, in my opinion, on him. But, you know, we still do have Jonathan Isaac. Um, what are your thoughts on maybe any fears about the Magic as a unit having collective lack of shooting? I think I've seen some of those takes on Twitter and kind of want to get your response on that. Yeah, I think the the perception is real and and exists mainly because of the starting backcourt because it it just feels wrong that we are starting two guards who might be the worst shooters on the team that's the part where everyone's thrown off to me but it makes sense when you see the rest of the roster in the lineup where the front court actually has all the shooting you you really need i just looked up the catch and shoot numbers from last year real quick wendell Carter, Chuma Okiki, and Mo Wagner all shot over uh, 33% on over three attempts per game. Cole, Anthony, RJ Hampton, Franz Wagner, and Mo Bamba all shot between 36 and 40% on two to four attempts per game. And then Devin Kennedy and Gary Harris actually shot over 40% on high volume over four a game, but Devin Kennedy only played at the end there. But he's he's a shooter to watch out from the G League who went through a big injury, but he, he can knock it down. He'll, he could enter the Magic's rotation by next year, especially when they need shooters to finish these plays but in terms of the shooting and spacing as a team i'm i definitely have concerns about the backcourt but i think the front court should keep it spaced enough especially um when it when we have the on ball shooters as well and more so i i think that we'll be creating offense other ways like like fultz isn't going to be hitting threes but he he can play make attack the defense he can break down the the defense uh by penetrating the paint He'll snake pick and rolls. He can get anywhere he wants in the mid-range. So that's that's Fultz's way of breaking the, down the defense and then distributing the ball, either attacking the rim, going for the floater, drawing fouls, or, or kickouts. And that's just Fultz. And obviously, there should be some two-man game there with, with Paolo as well in terms of the pick and roll, and more, more so probably rolls than handoffs because Fultz isn't as much uh, anything of an on-ball shooter in that sense. But yeah. Um, in terms of <clears throat> Paolo shooting, I don't really have too many concerns, not as many as I did like a few weeks ago when I was really listening to all these conversations about just everyone else's concerns about it. But when I looked a little closer, it just seems like another average good skill of his that isn't anything crazy off the board. Like he shot 34% on four threes a game at Duke. That's that's a good percentage that on a points per possession basis – where um, people measure, you know, how good of an offensive possession something is. Durant and Kawhi, the, the base I always use is that a Durant-Kawhi 50% two-point jumper 
is worth the same as a 33% three-pointer. And that's literally what Paolo hit 33.8% on three threes per game at Duke. <clears throat> so to me, that's just like an average skill. It's, it's a fine skill and also room for, for growth. He's a 74% free throw shooter last year on 159 attempts. Again, that's just kind of average or good where it's, it's not, it's not jumping off the page, but you know, it's, it's silly to throw him in the same sentence, but LeBron James has a career 74% free throw sh- shooter. Oh, wow. Exact same percentage. So it's not a concern by any means either. Yeah. And then um, fun little fact in March Madness on the biggest stage, uh, Paolo Banquero played five March Madness games and shot four threes a game and made 52% of them. So he was on fire on the biggest stage. That's always fun to see. Yeah. So there's at least a, a few reasons to hope in terms of the three pointer. And then, like you mentioned, the, the mid range is real. Like the, I'll have to dig deeper on the percentages, but the, the tape is just t- a tough shot hitting mid range assassin. Like he, he's pulling up crossovers into deep twos. He's posting you up for a fadeaway. Like it, he'll do anything down there. So I, 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 I would assume that taking so many tough on ball shots, showing off his touch on these passes and finishes and, and mid range jumpers, along with all the other signs essentially being just average or good, not bad, all of those, that some kind of brings positive indication that as long as, like before, as long as he's willing to put in the work like these, you would expect out of a star player, he should be able to develop into being good at everything, where, where suddenly if, like friends, when, when you're just good at everything, you just can't be taken off the floor. You have no reason not to play. And one more point on that is the spacing at this level is just going to be wide open compared to everywhere else he's played. So you now have Paolo Banquero freight train coming down the paint, try to stop that as, as you're kicking out to shooters. So hopefully Orlando gets one of these. And obviously this could be the guy where it's a grab and go North South force of nature who just creates good looks for himself at the rim, draws fouls and makes life easier for everybody else on the team. Wow. Yeah, I mean, dude, now I'm, I'm you got me hyped now for this this potential fit. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's <No>. go. <laughs> Season starts tomorrow. I know, right? Start the games. <laughs> Let's get out there. I'm ready. Playoff appearance. Let's get it. No, it's it's really cool, like you said. Like, Championship by 2030. Hey, Alex listen. Martin promised us. Really? <laughs> it's the <What>? prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a inside joke for Magic fans that we're just counting down the days from like I want to say from 2015 that he said that 15 oh, wow. years we'll be a champion. <laughs> I mean listen it might be you see uh, what I love is on um on Twitter they'll have like I think they did it with the Rockets where they show a picture of like Jalen Green and, and Jabari Smith and like uh the 2025 NBA champions and you're like wait yeah. what and you're like oh well, you got the design out yeah you <laughs> already designs busted out <laughs> you're already going out that next level but um no with the with the way that you described the 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 many different ways that Apollo can fit I like the fact that you drew comparisons and I know the name obviously loved comparison LeBron but he's another guy came in iffy shooter you know what I mean really has worked on his three point shot um to become I'd say you know a pretty reliable weapon from out there even as his free throws have been you know more or less pedestrian he's always been kind of a if there's ever a blemish in this game he's been just kind of about average from the free throw line you know and that's a really good line and going hey you know 34 35 from three isn't that bad when you look at a guy like Braun who you don't let take open threes and for most of his career you would say that's where he hovered you know so I do like kind of seeing a little parallel a parallel there um in terms of a high volume kind of shot maker who the three is a tool in the toolkit if it's not necessarily the hammer, you know? Exactly. So I definitely right. do like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, you, you went to your most recent article about um, the, the fit between Wagner and Bancaro, uh, two tall wings who can kind of initiate the offense and do all of those things we brought up earlier, um, just passing, shooting, just being a basketball player, but doing it at a, at a great level in a 6'10 um, plus frame. How do you think the play of, I guess Paolo specifically, we already saw it to a lesser extent in, in Wagner, but how do you think the play of Paolo will help unlock, and you kind of went to this a little bit more uh, specifically with uh, Markel Fultz, but let's say Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs specifically unlock their play as guards, because we're st- I, I kind of see in my head Cole Anthony eventually in a fully realized version on this team being like a scoring kind of combo guard off the bench. 
I'm not sure where I see Jalen Suggs because this year was just so bad from what I was expecting to what the realization was and rookie stumps happen. So I also can't put a whole lot of stock in that. But how do you think those two guards uh, game will kind of flourish or adapt with the addition of Apollo there? Oh, yeah. I, I really love the potential fit of Cole Anthony's pull-up game off of Paolo's sturdy handoffs, picks, short roll playmaking. Like, I mean, is, is Stefan Draymond too much to expect? No, but yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you, you see like you, you picture the Stefan Draymond play where Steph gets doubled and, and dumps it off to Draymond on the short roll. He's now playing four on three. Obviously, if Cole ever got to the point of double teams, that's fun to imagine, but Cole is a he was a really good pull up shooter. I want to say the the numbers jumped off job, uh, dropped off a little bit, mm-hmm. but he was hitting as efficient on pull up threes as Steph. That's why I made the little tongue in cheek joke there. It was just on <laughs> about half the volume where Cole was taking about three per game, but as efficient as anyone. So when you when you have Cole in that pull up running off a handoff or running a pick and roll, and then you have Paolo on the handoff short rolling able to play make drive kick I, I really like that potential combo and then um with with Suggs like you mentioned it it was disappointing on I would say on the offensive end and I'll push back a little on the defensive end because okay. yeah more than fair he, because maybe I think part of the disappointment is where the is the pre-draft comps where all the stars were just getting like he was it, people were saying Brandon Roy out of the gates and it's like that's a really great score. That's like the one of the best, most fun scores ever. But, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that he was going to be that good offensively out of the gates, I think is what threw people off. And look, when you look at the three-point numbers, they're just bad. I want to say it's 22% or something from deep, where it's, yeah. it's just bad. But Not for lack of trying. <laughs> to spin it, yeah, right. To spin it a positive way, he did have one half where he had four threes in a row. That's, that's a, a That doesn't happen too often where one – or sorry, first quarter against, I want to say the Thunder – he just dropped four – or no, it might have been – I think it was the Nets. He just dropped four threes in a row on him, and that was just out of nowhere. Um, but one positive sign is that he missed about half the year, and in that time he actually spent most of his injury recovery working on his finishing at the rim, and he saw a real improvement there in the numbers. I know Kobe Price wrote a, a nice article on that as well, where uh, Cole just improved as a finisher – with layups and reverses and, and all that stuff. And there was a clear improvement night and day from before and after. So the idea that he improved that so quickly in his time off is a positive sign that he's, he's going to continue working on the three-point jumper as well. But that is definitely a huge swing still for him because defensively, I think he's – I'm obviously biased, but I, I think he's one of the better guard defenders in the league. I know Jeff Weltman actually said on that podcast with Russillo I ref, referenced that Suggs was in the 90th percentile for all defenders for their stats. So we're not sure, you know, the best defensive analytics aren't necessarily available to the public or anything, but mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not nothing. When I made a graph on hustle stats that included deflections and uh, contested shots and defensive field goal percentage, he was right in that range with elite guards that you'd want him to be like Marcus smart and drew holiday right in that category. Now, obviously these are just numbers, but he's also shown on the film the ability to move up a position. I think that's that's a huge part of his versatility, kind of where the Chauncey Billups comp came from, where he can he can guard really. Str- he's so strong that he can and athletic that he can keep up with the uh, swift guards on the perimeter, while also being with the post players. Like I know he got in Kevin Love's head once last year, where kevin just dapped him up after he's like great great defense man i, I have nothing going against you right now <laughs> that, that was just like he's doing that to kevin love like that, that is a big man down there so yeah absolutely. i i am straddling the line of concerned about the shooting but hyped about the defense and i'm definitely someone who believes suggs will put in the work to keep developing so you would hope that he at least finds a streaky three-point shot and obviously the comparison I made there was Marcus Smart, where he had a similar terrible early shooting percentage, and no one thinks of him as a shooter, but he's a, he's now a streaky three-point shooter who yeah. has upped his percentage a little bit and higher volume and, and can at least, you know, it's not it's no one's go-to plan, but he can now hit the open three, and that's, that's kind of where I hope um, Suggs finds his role offensively. And in terms of with Paolo, that will probably come on driving kicks, and 
uh, short roll playmaking kicks where Suggs will be attacking closeouts or seeing open shots. Like that's the biggest benefit of Paolo for everyone is just cleaner open looks. Same as playing with Fultz. Like he's going to uh, attack so attract so much attention that there's just going to be easier opportunities for shots for everybody else. And that, that goes for Suggs, for RJ Hampton, for Chumo Kiki, these skilled wings who can attack closeouts and shoot, but might not necessarily uh, be first options on this team. So I really like that fit there. And, and we've only really touched on Fran, Franz and Paolo, but I, I think that goes a lot of ways. Um, coming back to the word versatility, you can basically play them both. Franz isn't going to be rolling to the rim, but he can pop while Paolo's running a pick and pop. And, and then you can switch it. You can have Franz running the pick and roll with Paolo rolling in the short roll or Another example is a Spain pick and roll where maybe Paolo and Wendell are running, driving towards the, the lane, and then Franz flares back out for the three. And it's just a really tough action to stop when everyone can shoot and make team first decisions looking for the best shot for the team. Definitely. Definitely. You brought up um, even comparing uh, Suggs and Marcus Smart. It's kind of funny. As, not as, a, as a, a direct comp, but Marcus Smart actually holds the Celtic record for most threes made in the game. You know, there so and you're right. He is not doesn't come with the rub of being a shooter, but he had <laughs> eleven threes. Him. Yeah, exactly. He had eleven threes in a game against the Suns. What two years ago? So yeah, there there there, there is a, a a precedent of okay, maybe not being a a a shooter by label, but someone who if you leave me open, I'll take him and I will make a good a, a good little clip of him, or at least a respectable um enough clip to to make eleven in the game. Exactly. <laughs> I love that, but yeah, and I love what you said about opening up these these different. Um, play especially the skill sets and incorporating the skill sets of uh, uh, Suggs and Anthony. These guys are also potentially part of this team's future as well. You know, in terms of how um, the next great Magic team is constructed, uh, maybe these two are building blocks to that effect. Still early to see, you know, kind of what takes form there. But as of right now, um, definitely, I you know, I think you as well have them up there. Um, looking at uh, you mentioned Wendell Carter Jr. and I guess also. We got we got to talk about just a little bit, Jonathan Isaac. You did reference him already here. Are you looking at Isaac as a potential piece of the puzzle here? Are you thinking that he's someone who might be potentially available this offseason? I feel like you have such a, a interesting mix of a Magic team right now where you have like the clear and established future in, in Wagner and Bancaro and to a certain extent Suggs. You kind of have the current one that you already like have already started with the addition of Cole Anthony. You kind of have that past regime, but past transitional phase. Um, well, Cole Anthony and R, and I would even say RJ Hampton in the middle. But then you also have Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaacs. So you kind of have this like train of the past, the present, and the future type thing, even though the future is now. So with all that being thrown out there, what do you look at? Isaac and to a lesser extent Fultz being on that train, being young enough, you know, 24, 25, but also, you know, significant question marks for both a uh, largely stemming from injury and maybe not being a fit on the team. I, I want to get your thoughts on them in, in terms of this team building um, constructive uh, construction here. For sure. I, I think like the other players, the, the front office still values both of those guys and, and basically bet on them first as the long, strong, skilled guys that they will build this team around. So there is that um, first guy, last guy here. And obviously every year there's new young prospects that, that need opportunity and need minutes. And you're either you know better than them or you're not. And that's how sports work sometimes. But I, I think Fultz, I, I guess I would say is a little, I don't know who's safer, but I'll, I'll just say that there's a little less concern about Fultz on this team. I, Magic fans probably think of him as like, the table setter, the point guard of the team. Like, like, like he's their guy. He's, he's the fan favorite. Every time he checks in, there's the different energy on the floor, even where the players are more excited when he's out there. And as a defensive playmaker, Fultz still has just about every, every tool in his bag. He's obviously not the three point shooter from Washington and the shot release still doesn't even look the same. It, it looks different on his three pointers than it does on every other shot he takes. Yeah. So there's a, there's worries there. But, you know, as, especially if Paolo can shoot, that, that lack of shooting won't hurt as much as long as Fultz is surrounded by spacing. And he's yeah. able, because his big key anyway is breaking down defenses, getting where he wants. And if he doesn't like the shot, kicking out anyway. So that, that's one where 
I, I like that fit as long as Paolo reaches where we think he should as an average shooter and that Fultz's playmaking really could be a special connection with him. Now, Isaac's a totally different topic. I, I would say as a player for the last few years, I've considered him the core piece of the team, but that basically was before he got hurt. And yeah. that was two years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I thought of him as, I think he, he was as destructive as a defender as anyone in the league back then. And that he has that potential still that he, he, he wasn't relying on a ton of bounce and jumpiness and, and any crazy speed to get around necessarily. It was, it was like a smart technique of how to use his length defensively. I, I thought, and he also got a lot stronger where he was shutting down Anthony Davis and Chris Stapps and matchups like that. That's where I saw him, but Things change quickly, and there's now Paolo, Franz, Chuma all in the front court. And if the the Magic team are more invested in any one or a couple of them, he could get lost in the shuffle. I, I still think uh, defensively he should be around that same player. Offensively, he's been working on his ISO game. That's the big wild card: is can he be an off off the dribble ISO threat? Can he be a tough shot hitter that we never saw? Mostly backing it up a little bit, mostly from low usage back with his days with, with Clifford. Like there, there's a reason Franz caught Isaac so quickly in points. And one of them is how skilled Franz is offensively. And the other one is Isaac never shot the ball. He, he, he was never the number one option unless Vucevic was hurt where he had some 20 point performances. So all that's to say, I think they still value Isaac's talent probably as much as they did beforehand. Like I, I don't think they're in any hurry to, to move on from Isaac. If anything, they want him to just recover so they can see what they have in Isaac and Paolo and Franz on this roster because that, that's a very versatile front court in its own right, just playing those three. So I, I think that they're going to keep both and that because of these recent draft picks, I could see Isaac becoming more available, available quicker along with all of the distractions that maybe that, that leads to him being more available quicker than Fultz. But I, I think they'll both be around for – the at least the next season maybe even probably even longer just both around during this team building process i, I don't think they're going to just uh be moved on from anytime soon okay i get that i'm glad you put a little more of a, a holistic look on it all because i was like wow maybe they're looking at Fultz. i like Fultz. I, I like i like isaac as well i think i've seen more from Fultz. Yeah. obviously that i can say okay well with Fultz, you have a guy you know run the pick and roll, shoot the mid-range, defensively know what you can get, whereas for Isaac, you know, it's been since the bubble, you know? So I yeah. really don't have that long to go from, and even from then, I wasn't going to lie and say I've seen that much um, Isaac from then because he was injured for parts of those times as well. So for me, I was like, oh, maybe they'll just move on. I like the fact that you said, okay, hold up. Like, <laughs> they actually did like these players. You're right. They were the first to invest in these players, both of them, you know, given the extensions, um, despite other teams right. maybe kind of balking at that. So that makes a lot of sense. And, again, you wish for the best of health for them and kind of seeing how they fit on this team uh, because then you do have some additional defensive versatility there, some additional length, obviously shooting concerns. But, again, if you look at how you described the play of Paulo and Franz kind of driving the rest of these other players, maybe getting up shooting from other positions that it's not even a problem. Um, but before we kind of close out on the magic and, and RK, and you've been great. I really appreciate this. I, I want to get your thoughts on, we've kind of talked around the front office. They, obviously their, their fingerprints are all over this team. Um, but I want to get your thoughts on just the, the front office regime um, during this time, as well as the coaching, you know, Jamal Mosley uh, really kind of, new coach in terms of I love what he brought from an energy perspective, from a fight perspective, the magic seemed to kind of resonate and emanate um, that kind of seemed to come from Mosley. But I kind of get your thoughts on, you know, the leadership up top. Uh, we were talking about the players as we kind of look forward uh, with the Orlando magic here, especially this off season. Yeah. Uh, we touched a little bit on uh, the goals of this front office for sure with Jeff Weltman and John Hammond. And they, they clearly, really want to bet on a certain couple of skills. And first of all, it's, it seems to be just good basketball players. They, it, it, as, as simple as that sounds, but they, they want all around guys who fit at any situation where there's no worries about who's going to guard who, or who can't guard, who's going to get picked on here, where there's just to say it one more time, that two way team first versatility, the mm -hmm. key words of this team building mindset. And then, with Jamal Mosley, I, I personally just love everything about what he's brought to this team. I mean, there, there, we haven't had an energy like that on the sidelines or on the court 
in years. I mean, we just don't play that like n- not to take away from the defense and the um, the Clifford teams at all. They just didn't play like this where there was never any give up. There was no plays off. It, it's just it's beautiful to see the how quickly things can change for a culture when you get the right people in place. And a lot of people um, weren't sh- a lot of people weren't sure about the hire because they didn't know a ton about him necessarily. But he's been on the sideline with Rick Carlisle forever. He, he worked in Denver. He's a former player himself. He worked with uh, Jeff Weltman in Denver as well. I'm talking about uh, Coach Mosley. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's so he, he's been waiting for his turn, and it, it's it's turned out exactly how everyone would want. Where other coaches are jealous of the effort that this team gives that. Uh, he's able to communicate with the players, which is so important these days to be able to, you know, criticize without being overly harsh or mean or anything where it's, it's a clear form of communication and a, a co-mutual, you know, uh, dedication to growth where it's, it's built on daily grind and daily results and just doing the work that day. And uh, all the phrases you love to hear in your sports teams, but you really see it play out. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, like you can say the right things, but w- w- you can tell the difference when there's effort and there's not, and these oh, guys yeah. care. And, and that's partly because Mosley inspires them to give their all every game. And I mean, you don't see teams tanking, try as hard as they did last year. That that's really where I think you can notice the effort and the coaching and the effects of that, where, like everyone knows the magic want ping pong balls, but they're still trying in the fourth quarter down 20 and with the backups and suddenly they got back in it. And and that's, that's just a common theme we found last year. So I, I think everyone has to be, obviously it's, it's a wins business. So if the wins don't come around, things change quickly, but uh, I love the direction that Mosley has put in this team and um, really on board with the, the whole culture and mentality this front office has been building. Definitely. Wow. I love the way you brought um, kind of out the, the mindset of the team being, hey, what all teams want, which is we're going to work together, and, you know, team focus mindset. Let's grind. I call it the um, the opening video, um, the opening video monologue, because whenever you look at like a team's home team's opening video, you kind of get those. We're all about that work, and you see the the close ups of the yellow, and then you watch them play, and you're like, okay, Grind. like yeah, exactly. <laughs> like some were about it, some are. You know, I remember, um, I think it was the 2017 Cavs, and mind you, they were a really good team, but they had this like, this it was this this hilarious kind of. We work hard, you know. We're we're always in the gym. We're always we've got our hard hat on. It's like you guys are like a, a really glitzy offensive team. You guys are one of the worst defenses ever. Like I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but it was funny to kind of see again what what the team wants to believe they are, and then when we watch the team, what they actually are. And in this case, with the Magic, you're saying, hey, like what they want to be and what they say they are is kind of what we're seeing, even if the talent hasn't quite matched up to the mentality. Exactly. I mean the the grit. They believe in it. You know, yes, it might as well be the slogan, but they follow through with it. So <laughs> There you go. I love that. I love that. And I, I, I want to say kind of moving just from the Magic into the more general NBA draft, Um, I know it's been – I really wanted a Magic expert on here, so I appreciate you again uh, for giving me the time and kind of talking about that. But what other picks, selections did you like? It was a crazy draft, kind of bereft of trades I thought were going to happen. Nothing happened with John Collins. Nothing happened with Kyrie Irving. Nothing happened with Jonte Murray. In fact, nothing happened with any of the top 10 picks in terms of trade uh, to match all the pre-draft chatter that we thought there'd be a whole lot of craziness. But, you know, there was a few um, moves between Charlotte, New York, Oklahoma City, Detroit, um, some surprising picks. What were your kind of general thoughts on this draft, obviously outside the magic, and then maybe um, some selections you liked or were surprised by? Yeah, I, I thought the Pistons were the winners of the draft to me, and maybe the Grizzlies too, but the, the Pistons coming away with two talents that some people would classify both in the top tier, depending how deep that top tier went with Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, able to find Cade Cunningham, a partner with in Ivey, who seems like a match made in heaven as like this north-south force who can just attack right away, especially off closeouts created by Cade. And then obviously Duran's rim rolling and play finishing off of the lob threat there just seems like a really nice match. And then you have some defensive upside and versatility between them all as well with Duran as a possible anchor. So I, I really thought Detroit killed it and uh, won that. And then the Grizzlies made a good pick at every pick. They, they got four good basketball players yet again, Vince Williams, Kennedy Chandler. I love the Jake LaRavia pick, who's just a 6'8 skilled 
another six eight skilled basketball player who d- who doesn't really make too many mistakes. So uh, just Memphis doing what everyone knows and drafting everyone's favorite uh, big board players once again. And um, <laughs> always, always. You no, know, it's what they do. And I'd say another. You got. I like the Christian Coloco pick for the Raptors. Mark Schindler wrote a great article on that, uh, where Coloco's defensive anchor and versatility and shot blocking just a huge defensive talent there that that fills a fills a need for the Raptors at center. And uh, just a really big fan of, of those two teams and and how they came out of it as well. Uh, did you have any prospects that you thought like you really liked the fit with? Oh yeah, so actually, I I loved um, the colloquial fit was nice. I did like that in Toronto was gonna be nice again. You know, also shout out to the friend of the program, just friend Mark Chandler, like really cool guy. <laughs> um, yeah, he is man for sure. But I definitely thought that was interesting from that. They needed kind of a big, kind of having that length. Uh, apparently, you know, uh, pre-draft, the guy was shooting the lights out. So, like, that's intriguing. Didn't see that in Arizona, per se. Um, definitely surprised by that. I love the fit of Jabari Smith in Houston. I just thought Jabari was more of the, maybe you might be down more on, like, the star upside. But as a person who could fit on any team in the top three, any team in the NBA, you need length, you need defensive versatility, you need elite shooting. Like, you get all of that. That's a no-fail kind of guy. And I feel in Jabari Smith, you have that. So in Houston, you kind of need that because, you know, your other uh, main big for the future is Alperin Shanguna, uh, just a very skilled offensive player. But defensively, the warts are there. And you have Jalen Green still trying to figure out whether Kevin Porter Jr. is part of your future. Um, and I guess speaking on that, I loved all of the Rockets' moves. I mean, you, you were able to bring yeah. in Jabari, able to get Tari Eason. You know, you mm-hmm. have that Bari and Tari thing going on now. You are um, you able to get Ty Ty Washington, you know, as maybe a guy who right off the bat, I think, will be kind of your backup guard who can initiate pace, shoot for the mid-range well, you know, get others involved unselfishly. But also, there might be an opening, you know, for him to kind of take on a starting point guard role in the future. And I would love a Washington Green backcourt. You know, that'd be really kind of, kind of neat there. Um, with Tari, you know, playing the four, Maybe you put Jabari at the three. I like him more at the five, but maybe you put him at the three. Um, you still have Uz- Uzman Garuba, you know, as well. So you have yeah. some interesting pieces all of a sudden in Houston that you can mix and match in, a, in some really cool ways. So I loved what I saw there. Um, oh, yeah. Tari, he's in great yeah. pick there. Oh, yeah. yeah I love, love that Love that pick. I mean, it, I had him in the top tier, too, just first super versatile forward and can do a lot for them on the wing. Yeah, and he's in between what, all those stories you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the size, like you said, you, you brought up again with it's a it's a totally different look because neither of those guys, in fact, one of their issues for both is the lack of playmaking, the lack of um, I want to say they're stiff players because I think Jabari is more stiff, quote unquote, than Tari is. But you look at what you get from Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, you do get more of that again, distributing, scoring, getting us involved right. with Tari and Jabari. It's like, hey, we're just trying to. Point A, point B. Tari's <laughs> gonna drive full court. Jabari's gonna shoot it. Like this was gonna happen, you know. Throw down some slams, coast to coast. Why exactly, not? exactly. So both are different, but I like that you're getting again intriguing um, play styles and perspectives in different packages in terms of size. But I think my Absolutely. last one, Johnny Davis. I definitely like Johnny Davis. There you go. Really big Bummer. fan of him. Yeah, I love his. I, I really think that he'll be able to shoot threes more consistently um, with some more spacing. I don't know if Washington is the place to give you that. But yeah. also, you know, we, we saw his defensive attitude, you know, always trying to go after it. Um, somebody didn't really take a whole lot of plays off that on the end, even though he had basically every right to in terms of giving him a pass from a guy who's on a team that's not as great, having to manufacture a lot of that team's offense, and that results in a lot of tough midi. So I guess I just want to see how that translates on the NBA stage, you know, already having yeah. had a massive workload. Yeah. Some, he's got that mid range bucket getting, I saw he, he shot 38% on catch and shoot threes. So that, that should be a positive for that D and three role where maybe he feels something of just that, that basic role as he grows into the rest of his game and can obviously bring you a little, some buckets off the bounce as well. I, I also really like the Spurs picks. I, I just kind of realized <laughs> looking back at it, like Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham, and on top of Jeremy Sokan, I, I really like um, his defensive playmaking at the four, at the four there. And just a, a super skilled, big, like a classic, kind of a classic Spurs player in, in my opinion there, but that, that, that was a nice haul for them as well. So a lot of fun, fun, uh, prospects and, and matchups here that where you get some nice fitting roles. Absolutely. Absolutely.
RK, this has been a blast, man. I really appreciate you coming on and just talk. I mean, we talked all, you know, we got magic, got draft, got team construction. It's been, it's been a fun (laughs) conversation, man. Um, You got it all. Hit hit the big ones. You got to love talking magic basketball. Who doesn't? Absolutely, man. I just, I'm really appreciative of your time and, and grateful to have had you on. Where can folks find more of your work? Obviously, just you have anything coming up? We're gonna take a little break with off season, kind of in full swing. <laughs> like, like, what is the plans for RK and where can can people catch more of what you do? Yeah, I uh, just dropped that article on Paolo Banquero and his fit with the Magic. Just going over a lot about what we just talked about here. So check that out on my Twitter and Substack Beyond the RK. Also got it on YouTube, but I'm sure we'll we'll have something else fun in the mix coming soon. But that's my most recent work, so feel free to check it out. Thanks for the support. Thanks for having me. Love your work. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah, man. Always. Really do appreciate you. Thank you, man. And listen, y'all, make sure to follow him on Twitter, Beyond the Arcade. You can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. Uh, really appreciate you rocking with us. Uh, there is more to come this offseason. We are not done, but we are done tonight. So, until next time, <laughs> for RK, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.